0: Welcome back to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman. Great to have you here. And before we start the show this week, good news, big news from the Aust family. Our rock expert, Frank Aust, and his lovely wife, Martha, are first-time grandparents. Their beautiful daughter, Nina, welcomed Molly June into the world a few days back on the 10th of August. And Nina and wife, Amy, and little baby Molly June are doing very well. We couldn't be happier for the Aust family. So congratulations. Frank Ost, welcome back. He is our rock and roll expert and uh, he's going to start things off now that our Hall of Fame inductees have uh, been taken care of one by one from 1986 all the way to 2021. Remember, that's right. Hall of Fame inductees are going to be uh, at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, a bigger venue what with COVID and all, you can spread out a little bit more. It's an indoor venue, but it's Exactly. Uh, it'll be at the end of October on a Saturday night, October 30th right here in Cleveland. So instead of a rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee list, we're going to give Frankie an opportunity to give his idea. Two should get in. Give me two artists that you think should be at least nominated, if not inducted.
1: Well, uh, this week I did come up with a couple here. First one is a, well, it's a pet project of mine, the Jay Giles Band. Good one. I read a list of top 100 snubs in cleveland.com, and believe it or not, they didn't even make the list. They are (laughs) flat out one of the greatest live bands of all time. I know that personally. I saw them a couple of times. Woofer Groofer. And I personally saw them blow some main acts off the stage as an opening act. I recommend Blow Your Face Out, which was a live album from 76. Yeah. Kind of shows them at the kind of the peak of their uh, abilities. Um, often called the American Rolling Stones. They actually opened for them on two different tours. Um, they released eight studio albums to varying degrees of success. Then they come out with um, Love Stinks, which kind of set the table. Um, got a little bit more airplay. Um, set the table for success, which would finally come with Freeze Frame, yeah. uh, international hit and number one album. Uh, still, in all, they had three top twenty albums, ten top forty records, and including the uh, number one centerfold. Interestingly enough, they never changed any band members in their fifteen year of their classic period. Um, In my opinion, they are just flat out the most disrespected band of all time. Uh, We lost Jay Giles uh, back in 2017, but the other five members are still with us. I want to get them in uh, before anything happens to them. Uh, So uh, that's a band, as far as I'm concerned, uh, absolutely should get in.
0: You want to hear a good tune, um, download One Last Kiss from early 1979. It's a great tune. They had so many. It's a good rock and roll song, but it's uh, more...
1: Subtle. Yeah. And uh that was the thing about them. And they did, you know, kind of the classic R&B songs. They did a lot of covers, but they also wrote some some fantastic stuff. Uh, uh Again, like uh, Sanctuary, Monkey Island. Uh, those were not played and they did not sell well, but there's some really great tunes on there. I think they might be a forgotten band in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you have another one for us, Bad Company. Well, Uh, The classic lineup with the sublime Paul Rogers, the lead singer, released six albums, all reaching the top 30 both in America and the UK, and four reaching the top 10. Their first three albums, Bad Company, Straight Shooter, and Run With a Pack, are the soundtrack of the mid-70s and the basis for, uh, you know, album-oriented rock programming (laughs) to this day. Oh, yeah. Uh, And in the days before disco, songs like Can't Get Enough and Good Love and Gone Bad packed the dance floors. Finally, in recent years, Paul Rogers is back in the fold and they are again touring time to get them in the Hall of Fame while they can still perform.
0: I can imagine it now. Frankie on the dance floor at the the Mining Company. Absolutely. What was it before that? The Power Station or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Or the Rampant Lion or one of those places. (laughs) Baratco's, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So Bad Company will be featured in a couple of weeks. Uh, It's part of our continuing series. We'd like to hear more from. Uh, um, Some bands like Boston, we heard enough from, I thought. Mm -hmm. And Bad Company isn't one of them. I want to hear more as we head into the 80s. I know Paul Rogers did a lot of stuff, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but you're right. They definitely deserve consideration for at least nomination. Right. We'll come back with our Two Should Get In segment next week. (laughs) All right, Frankie, some news and notes. Becoming Led Zeppelin, the documentary will be screened at the Venice Film Festival next month. The Venice in Italy, not a few miles south of Sarasota. It'll be screened in the non-competition category. After that, it's expected to have its worldwide release. But keep in mind, it's over two hours in length, so you'll need to devote a little bit of time to that, but there's a lot of great footage, as you would expect, including a clip of Jimmy Page playing with the Yardbirds way back in 1966. On this date tomorrow, 50 years ago, Who's Next? was released, that classic album, With the song, Won't Get Fooled Again, the first single from the album, that was actually recorded at the Rolling Stones mobile recording studio. The album version, 8 minutes and 32 seconds long, it's worth every second. But when they cut it down for radio-friendly play, it was only 3 minutes and 36 seconds. They took almost 5 minutes out of that classic song. Stevie Nicks has canceled her remaining U.S. tour dates due to concerns over the rising COVID cases. She's 73 years old now. And Stevie only had five dates planned in Colorado and California, Texas, and Louisiana. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham's new self-titled album comes out September 17th, featuring the single I Don't Mind. Concert's coming up. Mark Cohn will be at the Kent Stage tomorrow night. Keep in mind, Mark's management team has made this announcement recently that they require everyone in attendance to wear a mask, whether they're vaccinated or not. If you need more information, go to KentStage.org. And Kent Stage also has some uh, new COVID guidelines that you want to check out as well. Herman Hermits, starring Peter Noon, will play the Akron Civic Center this coming Saturday night. Bachman Cummings, Randy Bachman, Burton Cummings, used to be in Guess Who, of course, and Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh, Burton Cummings, of course, on his own. Maybe he'll sing Stand Tall. I'm sure he will. They'll play the Goodyear Theater in Akron on Sunday. And the Eagles return to the stage, not here, but at Madison Square Garden in New York City for two dates. Hopefully they'll be announcing a Cleveland return date very soon. One Hit Wonders. Frankie, you've been waiting for this one for a long time. (laughs) The Archies, sugar, sugar. Not quite sure if Archie sang the lead vocals, or was it Jughead or Mr.
1: Weatherby? I don't know, but boy, when I think of One Hit Wonders, this has to be the greatest of all time. Uh, it was number one for quite a while. You didn't like <laughs> Jingle, Jingle Jangle, their follow-up? I, I Did like Jingle Jangle, but boy, there's nothing like Sugar Sugar. Uh, uh, You think of bubblegum music, and boy, this is it.
0: It featured our friend Jeff Berry, who's written many, many hits, and uh, Sugar Sugar was one of them. Andy Kim also co-wrote that song. He sang Rock Me Gently a few years later. That was number one for him in 74. sung by Ron Dante. The Song of the Year in 1969, I already told you that, Ron, went on to do backup singing and uh, producing Barry Manilow's hits all through yeah, the Yeah, absolutely. So. Jingle Jangle actually made it to number 10, Frankie, but I think we still think of Sugar Sugar as a one-hit wonder. Uh, I always get Jingle Jangle confused with uh, Tommy Rose, Jam Up and Jelly Tight anyway. So. Right, exactly. But Sugar Sugar was just a, such a phenomenal hit in 1969, and I think we said this before, It's a fitting way to end the 60s, I think. It it started with, like, theme from Summer Place and all the schmaltz that you heard in 1960, came full circle, right past all the stuff of the tumultuous years and the psychedelic, and ended up with uh, Sugar Sugar as number one for 1969. So if you just looked at a time capsule and didn't know anything about the 60s, you'd say... Nothing happened in the 60s. Exactly. Musically didn't
1: change at all. That's funny that you mentioned that, but you're right. Uh, this was kind of an innocent song, and yeah, maybe we were losing our innocence, but it was, uh, it was fun nonetheless. Sugar,
0: Sugar, the Archies. Our second one-hit wonder, I had to play it for Frankie before we started recording because he had no idea what I was talking about. Softly Whispering I Love You by the English Congregation. Frankie, you know why they called it the English Congregation? I'm not sure. Because Mike Curb Congregation, you know, they were performing halftime shows. They were all the rage in the early 70s and beyond.
1: Yeah, they were kind of an up with people type show, yeah.
0: So this British band, the English Congregation, knew that Mike Curb Congregation was also taking a crack at the same song, and so they added the English to congregation. Gotcha. If you hear the vocals, they're sung by a fellow named Brian Keith, not Uncle Bill from Family Affair, another Brian Keith. And if you're familiar with the song Into the Night by Benny Mardonis, I think you'll understand where we're getting at with that song. It was written by top songwriters Roger Cook and Roger Greenaway, who we've spoken of before. They wrote You've Got Your Troubles by The Fortunes, Long Cool Woman, um, My Baby Loves Lovin', and I'd like to teach the world to sing. Well, that makes sense, yeah. So Roger and Roger also recorded their version as David and Jonathan back in 1967, Mm -hmm. and then the English congregation took a stab at it and made it all the way to number 29 in 1972. Wow, that's fantastic. And also uh, on the ATCO record label. Remember the ATCO record label? Yeah, I do remember
1: the ATCO. Uh, The B-side was When Susie Takes the Plane. Pretty sure that... uh Bobby Darren's Mac the Knife was on at Co Records.
0: On this day in rock history, August 16th, Frankie, 1962, Ringo Starr was chosen to replace Pete Best as drummer for the Beatles. I guess Pete Best never talked to the Beatles after that. Not even a, a, an encounters backstage or something. Truly. I didn't I never heard that. Peter Paul and Mary released their song If I Had a Hammer in 1962. In 1968, a new group. A trio called Earth made its debut at a coffee house in Red Bank, New Jersey, featuring a young 18-year-old guitarist and singer named Bruce Springsteen. All right. 1974, the Ramones made their debut. In New York City, Peter Gabriel announced his departure from Genesis. Aha. Uh-huh. That yeah. was in Cleveland just before his show. That's right. The group would proceed to audition over 400 singers before deciding on Phil Collins as their new frontman. 400 Good. singers. Good Lord,
1: 400. That's incredible. I, I never realized that. And here all the time they had the singer right there. Right there in the <laughs> in the background. The king, Elvis Presley, died in 1977
0: at the age of 42 mm-hmm. years old. That's terrible. Talk about a body just given out. Yes. 1985, Madonna and Sean Penn were married in Malibu and divorced four years later. The Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, passed away at age 76 in 2018. I didn't know it was that long ago, but it was three years ago. Mm-hmm. Birthdays. Remember Al Hibbler? He was a blind singer, an R&B singer, and had a big hit with the version of the song Unchained Melody.
1: Oh, okay. 1955,
0: it hit number three on the Hot 100 chart in 1955. He was born in 1915. Edie Gourmet, you know Stephen Nineteen mm-hmm. 1931. Julie Newmar, one of the Catwomen. One of the many Catwomen, yes. Born in 1933. All right, Frankie, as we make our way through the 70s, number one album for the year 1971,
1: George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Is that in your record collection, or was it? Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, I don't think I have it anymore. Uh, Sooner or later, I'll probably go uh, download it from... Uh, one of the services. Seven weeks at number one. Yeah, and uh, at that point, George had something to say, and he said it, and uh, quite uh, loudly, excellent record. What can you say? Well, I
0: probably had it in my record collection at one time and reluctantly had a part with it when I was looking for dinner money or something, just starting out. I probably (laughs) sold it back to the record store and regretted it, but some you've been able to find again at the record stores around oh, here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You might be able to to dig it out of the the bin. And you know, if it's something I had, it's in good shape. Yeah. No needle marks and scratches and smudges. Jesus Christ Superstar, various artists that spent a few weeks here and there, top of the charts. That's another one I think I had or my brother had or something. So I listened to it and I thought, okay, it's an interesting album. You know, I don't know how to love him. And I've seen the show a few times.
1: Yeah, I I know my sister had it. She brought it home from college with her, and I listened to it. You know, it, Like you said, it was fine. But show music's never been my trigger, uh, unlike my daughter. Shout out to so, my daughter, yeah. who uh, absolutely loves it. Well, Godspell came out the year later, so that mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar
0: was good. That's it was, right. It was a good show and, and a really good soundtrack, and spent a total of three weeks at top of the charts. Janis Joplin in there, too, with Pearl. And uh, Four Way Street, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the live album recorded at the Fillmore East and the Forum in L.A. and the Chicago Auditorium. Dressing room fights, though, and strifes led to that band's breakup. They didn't start uh, recording again until 1977, apparently. Exactly. Uh, they came out with the uh, album, which featured uh, just a song before I go. hmm So, but they would reunite for a stadium tour in the summer of 74.
1: Yes, that, and, and that was quite a
0: big tour. Yeah, uh, and it was only another three years till they put something out, which is commonplace these days. Yeah. Sticky Fingers spent four weeks at the top of the charts. What did you think about the Stones and Sticky Fingers? Or uh, the album
1: I cover? love that record, Um and it's a little hint. Uh, we will be featuring that uh, in our album cover segment, but I love the album. Uh, bought it when it first came out. I remember one of the first ones that I actually bought you know the first week it was out
0: we talked about beggar's banquet meeting with controversy record executives didn't like the graffiti on the bathroom wall on the original cover that's right what did the critics think about this cover we should probably talk about that in a minute but i want to Absolutely. give get a little preview of what what like what did mom and dad think what did record stores think was there an uproar yes there was definitely an uproar <laughs> but after that carol king you know tamped everything down Tapestry came out and spent a bunch of weeks at the top of the charts in the middle of the summer, mid-June to the end of September of 71. Best-selling album of the 70s, uh,
1: certainly by female artist. Absolutely. Carol King's Tapestry. What a fantastic record. And uh, As I've said before, uh, more than uh, deserves to be in the Rock Hall as a performer this time.
0: Rod Stewart's Every Picture Tells a Story. Had Maggie May on it and four weeks at the top of the charts. And I like that rock and roll sound of Rod Stewart, that raspy rock and roll sound. Wasn't crazy about the, the show tunes he did later on. And yeah, the, later
1: on and he got to be disco and he got to be kind of a, the sex machine. And these were more roots. John Lennon had Imagine at the top of the charts
0: for one week, as did Isaac Hayes with the Shaft soundtrack. That's right. Uh, Santana, Santana three, spent five weeks at the top of the charts. And then Sly and the Family Stone rounded out the year with There's a Riot Going On, featuring "Running Away and
1: Family Affair. Yeah, boy, there was a riot going on. That was kind of the last of his uh, big records from his classic period.
0: So you had some good albums rounding out the year of Stones. Carol King, Rod Stewart, John Lennon, Isaac Hayes, Santana, Sly and the Family Stone. Nothing weak there.
1: No, nothing weak. And uh, really, you know, that was the early 70s, that kind of music.
0: 1971, Billboard's Top 10 Singles, Knocked Three Times by Tony Orlando and Dawn. They had a string of hits, and they were just getting revved up. Tie a Yellow Ribbon was going to be a number one hit for them a couple years later. Absolutely. Just My Imagination, Temptations. John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. Kind of
1: the first time we heard from him.
0: Now, we heard Leaving on Jet Plane, the Peter, Paul, and Mary song, which he wrote. But then he'd be a big star in the 70s. Donny Osmond, talk about a big star. (laughs) The Tiger Bee Magazines, everybody loved Donny Osmond. Go away, little girl. That was number seven. Number six, remember the lament of the uh, Indian Reservation, uh, the Cherokee? Paul Revere and the Raiders. How can men have broken heart? The Bee Gees, with their comeback, they had broken up just like two years earlier Mm -hmm. and got back together again, thankfully. And that would start a, a 70s run for them, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, this was kind of uh, a little bit of hint of things to come, let's put it that way.
0: Yep, The Osmonds again It's uh, with One Bad Apple. Carol King, It's Too Late, Back by uh, Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet. That's right. Rod Stewart, Maggie Mae, and The B-Side was Reason to Believe. That was number two.
1: Yeah, yeah great record and uh, yeah, one of those sing-along songs that everybody knows the words to. Do you know the words to Joy to the World? Well, probably do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Hoyt Axton song written by him and sung by Three Dog Night, number one for the entire year 1971.
1: Incredible. It's a good year yeah. of music, wasn't and it? And they were, it, you know, as we talked about before, uh, that group, uh, Three Dog Night, was just rolling at the time.
0: So a couple of artists that really made it all the way through the 70s. Uh, the BGS were so big. Carol King did too. Rod Stewart. But Three Dog Night and John Denver had their string of hits and then kind of tailed off as we hit the mid to late 70s. Absolutely. But they certainly were at the top of the charts. And they really just got going. John Denver, especially in 1971. You know, Three Dog Night had had some hits earlier than that. So yeah. Joy to the World, I thought, was a very fitting number one. Two best album covers. 1971 kind of teased it earlier. I think The Stones might be one of them. Frankie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, the Rolling Stones' Sticky Fingers came out that year. Um, And of course, the uh, album's artwork emphasizes the suggestive innuendo of the Sticky Fingers title, uh, showing a close-up of a jeans-clad male crotch. The cover of the original vinyl LP uh, released featured a working zipper and uh, the cover photo of a male model's crotch, clad in tight blue jeans. Many fans assumed that it was an image of Mick Jagger, uh, but it definitely wasn't. Now, they're not sure who actually was, but they figure uh, the artwork was conceived by Andy Warhol, who we've already mentioned with the uh, Velvet Underground and Nico. The banana. Yeah. Um, And so they're figuring it was one of the models in his dream factory at that time. One of the biggest problems with the record was that the zipper was doing damage to the record once they packed it. As you can imagine, that metal thing uh, on the outside dug right into the record. Uh, So they had a lot of returns. Um, They found out (laughs) that by unzipping it down to the label, they could, you know, uh, remedy the situation. So that's what ended up happening. Also, features uh, an unusual uh, first. It was the first usage of their tongue and uh, Lips logo. Yeah, the famous of, logo. Yeah, of the Rolling Stone Records, uh, which was originally designed by John Paish in 1970. Uh, it quickly became the most famous logo in the history of popular music. Uh, I bought it, I think, the first week it was on sale, brought it home, and my mom kind of policed my record collection, so to speak. Every once in a while, she'd roll through it. When she came across that record, she rolled her eyes, and she looked at me and said, just make sure your dad doesn't see this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that's uh, Rolling Stones' Sticky Fingers. You were,
0: what, 15 at the time?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a little young to have something like that, uh, at least at that time. Now I think it would be, you know, pretty pretty wide open. Yeah. But back then, that was kind of uh, risque. Uh, the other one I have, um, which was uh, another big album of the year that we haven't mentioned, is uh, Chicago Live at uh, Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, It was their fourth record, and basically what it did was kind of uh, sum up the first four uh, albums, or first three albums, and then kind of added a little bit more to it. Uh, Of course, the album package contained all the pertinent facts about the songs, band, content, uh, but also the original LP uh, had two giant posters of the band, a poster of Carnegie Hall's exterior, an insert about voter information, and a 20-page softcover <laughs> booklet uh, that contained uh, photos of the band playing during concerts. And also, uh, it contained a full touring schedule uh, of their first tour through the 1971 U.S. tour, which had literally every concert date that they'd ever played. The band official uh, official website labels the cover design as white tile. Um, The packaging also contains some strident political uh, messaging about how we, the youth of the country, can change the system. One of those giant posters uh, was on my bedroom wall for many a year, Mm -hmm. uh, and it really, truly was like wallpaper. It covered most of my wall. Uh, Chicago Live at Carnegie Hall was the best-selling box set by a rock act And held that for 15 years until uh, another uh, gentleman who is known for live albums, Bruce Springsteen, put out his live box set.
0: There's lots to read and lots to look at while you're listening to Live at Carnegie Hall.
1: That was the fun thing. Just bringing that home and then sitting at home, listening to the tunes. And then you had four records of tunes, but you also had all that neat stuff that was in the box.
0: And you couldn't find a better venue than Carnegie Hall either. Absolutely. For the artist or for the listener.
1: And I think they, this uh, kind of commemorated, they sold out a week's worth of concerts there. And they were the first rock act ever to do that. Frankie, brand new segment uh, that I'm
0: looking forward to. It's called Download Discovery. And, you know, our show features the years 67 to 82 It may or may not feature an album, a CD, or a couple of songs from that period, perhaps before, most likely after, and I'll tell you why, because there's a lot of stuff that I like to listen to in mid-80s, into the 90s, even to today, but we happen to hear it once on one of the stations or in a shopping mall or something, or somebody's car, and I think people have a a feel for our musical taste, what we like, and not so much like. So, I'll let you begin. Your download discovery, is it an album uh, or a song?
1: Uh, It's an album, and uh, one that I know you're familiar with also, um, by a group uh, by the name of Ambrosia, who uh, started actually started their career in the late 70s. Now their hits would be in the early 80s, The Biggest Part of Me. Yeah, David Um, and Gang. Yeah, You're the Only Woman. Uh, Good stuff, uh, well worth looking into, but the one that I love is their first record. When did it come out? Uh, It came out in 1975. And um, it was progressive rock. Um, think of a mix between Alan Parsons' project and Yes, and you'll probably be pretty close to what, what their sound was. Definitely different from what would come later in their more soft rock phase.
0: Yeah, how much I feel.
1: and Exactly. Um, it was, oddly enough, uh, or maybe not, it was mixed by Alan Parsons, which I never knew until I uh, did some... Uh, uh, That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. that was just before iRobot. Exactly, Uh, which I guess they played on. Oh, really? Another thing. Yeah, a couple of the uh, uh, members played on a couple of uh, of the Alan Parsons uh, Project records. Well, he was
0: probably getting ready to work with Al Stewart too, with You're the Cat. Absolutely, his albums.
1: Just to give you an idea, uh, what I mean by progressive rock, uh, nice, nice, very nice. Which is was. I love that song. uh, The best song, in my opinion, on there was a poem written by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Hmm. Uh, Mama Frog, which was on the second side of the album, uh, is actually has Jabberwocky recited during it. Hmm. So you can tell that they were kind of into something a little bit different than normal uh, uh, Top 40 stuff. But it had a couple of um, great up-tempo rockers and World Leave Me Alone, Time Waits for uh, No One, just fantastic stuff. And uh, the kind of the big hit off the album was holding on to Yesterday, which is a beautiful ballad. That's like the uh, early fall David of Pack. 75. Yeah, yeah. David Pack's a great vocalist. Oh. He
0: worked with a lot of those soft, jazz, smooth jazz artists of the 80s, like David Benoit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, boy, they, this is just a fantastic album. If you don't have it, it did manage to make uh, it up to number 22 on the charts. Basically, it's pretty much been forgotten since. So if uh, you haven't heard of this one, uh, you know, this is the time go download it, uh, take a listen to it, and let me know what you think.
0: Yeah, you can certainly preview any of these on YouTube. Absolutely. Some of the videos would be there. Uh, For me, it's Tanita Tikaram, T-I-K-A-R-A-M. She was an English artist who, in 1988, was 19 years old and put the album together called Ancient Heart, produced by Rod Argent. So she wasn't fooling around with her solo career. It's a great album. It's a, a coming-of-age type of album. It's it's breezy. It's smooth. It's uh, It makes you think. It takes you to a whole different place, which is what I like about music. And uh, I'll tell you, in 1988, I was playing the New Age, the Andreas Vollenweider and the Will Ackerman okay. and the Peter Buffetts of the world. And I got into the smooth jazz artists like David Benoit, David mm-hmm. Pack, and Russ Freeman and the Rippingtons. And we had Lyric Carlton, Tom Scott, you know, the whole... And then we had the vocalists like Linda Ronstadt and her Neville and Anything Smooth in late 80s at 104. Easy 104 was the number two rated station in the market. So Larry Morrow was programming that station correctly. Um, But when I came home after my 7 to midnight shift Monday through Friday, I was looking for anything that I could listen to that was my age that was current
1: that was a little different yeah and i found it what
0: did i find it three or four great artists interestingly are all female uh julia fordham i'll talk about her later on Uh, also till tuesday remember they had coming up close oh yeah about love well they had an album out called everything's different now and then tracy chapman with her debut album and uh it was just a sensational album she won a grammy for best new artist that year, so I'll be touching on those albums and some of those songs later on in our, dis, in our download discovery. But Tanita Tickerum's Ancient Heart features a couple of really cool tunes that uh, I think beg your download, and at least preview them on YouTube. I think you'll like what you see. And then you can download the songs called Twist in My Sobriety, and then Cathedral Song. And Cathedral Song, some of the critics liked it and some others. In fact, one of them said, if you try to figure out the lyrics to Cathedral Song by Tanita Tickerum. You can, but you'll be wasting three minutes and 26 seconds of your life. <laughs> it's about a coming of age. It's kind of like uh, someone saved my life tonight, except uh, from a female perspective. She didn't like to gotcha. get married. Apparently her boyfriend did. She wanted to explore like her life as a young woman would. That's what I got out of it, um, and it's a nice short song. It's not up-tempo. Um, like I said, it kind of takes you into a dreamy area. It's kind of fun. So when I came home from being on the air, I want to listen to something, and I would just play like that song and the others from that album, "Ancient Heart." Uh, Tanita Tickerum's the artist, and the songs "Twist in My Sobriety" and "Cathedral Song." If it's worth your download. Sounds great. Featured artist Frankie. I've been looking forward to this. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, by the way, what album would you have me start my record collection of Tom Petty if I didn't already have anything of his?
1: Well, I think uh, with him. Start almost at the beginning, which was uh his second album Damn the torpedoes uh came out uh in the late seventies kind of got, th- got kind of got thrown into that punk attitude type thing, but it owed much more to kind of uh, more of the birds' tradition yeah. or uh you know uh something like that rather than being punk or new wave or anything like that produced um, by jimmy iveen absolutely had some uh, great hits on there it's stuff that he would be playing for the rest of his career uh don't do me like that refugee here comes my girl even the losers well, i mean just stuff. fantastic stuff yeah. yeah i think if i were going to pick uh, one to start off with uh that's a great one from there it leads you into everything
0: else you can go backwards or forwards can't yep, you? absolutely featured artist thomas earl petty led the band called mud crunch was also a member of the Traveling willberries. We'll uh, talk That's about right, yeah. uh, those fellows before too long. Born in Gainesville, Florida in 1950, his father was Earl, a traveling salesman, not a Wilbury. Mother Kitty worked at the local tax office. Okay. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, 2002. Met Elvis at the age of 10. Okay. And was a big fan of his ever since. He knew he wanted to be a rock and roller the moment he saw the Beatles on The Ed Sullivan Show.
1: Boy, never heard that one before. Mud Crunch featured
0: <laughs> Ben Montench and Mike Campbell, who would also be in the Heartbreakers later on. Uh, Petty briefly, briefly had a solo career, but uh, started collaborating with Tench and Campbell, as well as Stan Lynch and Ron Blair, and they were on their way. Their first album was out in late 76, Breakdown and American Girl, which yeah. I just heard American Girl today. It sounds as current as as it did back then. It does. Almost 50 years ago, 45 years ago. Now, it peaked at number 55. On the Billboard album chart, it did somewhat better in the UK, uh, which isn't surprising. Seems uh, the UK is a little bit ahead of us with uh, new stuff and, you know, trying out different bands. Yeah,
1: and I think at that time, especially, um, they were a little bit. Easier to crack the market, let's put it that way.
0: 1978 brought us You're Gonna Get It. It was released in May of that year. I Need to Know, Listen to Her Heart. Both of those are still staples of the rock stations. That's and, and Good, good stuff. Uh, that did much better this time around. It did do well here, number 23 in the States and 24 in the UK. No covers in either of their
1: first two albums. So they wrote all their songs, in other words. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing, especially for a group starting out.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. Like Mike Campbell, who would go on to uh, write or co-write The Boys of Summer, Refugee, Here Comes My Girl, favorable reviews from the rock uh, magazine Rolling Stones. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well. Then Damn the Torpedoes just blew the lid off everything, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Co-produced by Tom and Jimmy Iovine, you know, Refugee and all the songs we talked about are... Petty originally balked at the record contract. He was not crazy about how MCA Records had taken over ABC Records. So we talked about this earlier. He decided to just uh, play his hand and file for bankruptcy. Wow. So they kind of came to an agreement. Uh, MCA called um, a little-known offshoot of their record label called Backstreet Records, and they were back in business. So Damn the Tor- Torpedoes came out in October 79. The breakout album number two here number one in Canada, it made, uh, surprisingly, the number 57 in the UK. You would think it would have done better.
1: Yeah, I would have thought that would have been a big hit there. Yeah,
0: easy at number one, but it wasn't, and it was held out of the top spot by the wall. Okay. Pink Floyd, that that certainly makes sense. Rolling Stone and Village Voice hailed it. They loved it, saying, production value finally matched his songwriting ability. Similar to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Sold over three million copies. So that's, what, three times platinum. You got it. Wow. Great record. 1981, May of that year, Hard Promises, The Waiting, Woman in Love, King's Road, number five in the album charts, Jimmy again, co-produced with Petty. Good album. Um, I waited a long time for that one, a whole year and a half. Yeah. Do you have that album?
1: No, I don't. But uh, I I do really like it. It's it's tremendous album. The waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, it is. So we waited and waited a
0: whole year and a half, didn't we? Yeah. Did
1: you ever see Tom Petty in concert? Yeah, I did see him once, and it was about this, that time period, uh, early 80s, where I saw him, uh, I believe, at Blossom Music Center.
0: 1982 brought us Long After Dark, Change Your Heart, which I really like, You Got Lucky. Those are all big MTV hit videos in oh, 1982, yeah. you know. Southern Accents in 1985, Don't Come Around Here No More, written by Dave Stewart of the Rhythms. And then a live album came out in November featuring Stevie Nicks helping out on a couple of tunes, including Needles and Pins, the cover of the Searcher's song Needles and Pins. That's right. That made it to number 37. That's co-written by Sonny Bono. Yeah, exactly. And it also featured a nice cover of the version of the Birds' So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, which was released in Europe. That was a. I I remember the MTV uh, music video yeah, to that. Yeah, me too. Uh, Let Me Up, I've Had Enough was 1987. The first cut, Jam and
1: Me, was co written by Bob Dylan. Kind of shape of things to come. I did not realize yeah. that Dylan had anything to do with that, but boy, now that you say it, that sounds that sounds like a Dylan record, doesn't it? Yeah, He's and it kind wouldn't, of yeah.
0: complaining, yes. And it wouldn't be long until he teamed up with Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynn, mm-hmm. George Harrison to form the Traveling Wilberries. That's right. Not before Tom would do his debut solo album, Full Moon Fever, in 19. 19- Eighty-nine, and the Traveling Wilburys were, of course, out by then. They'd come around in 1988, right in there. And Dylan and Harrison, Lynn, Roy Orbison, my goodness. Fun stuff. Yeah, they had a conversation, Tom did, with Jeff Lynn, and they all collaborated. and They were working on George Harrison's album, Cloud Nine. Right. And then they decided to put some else out. Handle With Care was uh, just A great standalone tune but they knew that their record label and the audience would definitely want more and so they got it you know the end of the line that was a follow-up Roy died of a heart attack in December of 1988 I guess his last show was at the Front Row Theatre okay Roy and then he wasn't feeling well and was gonna go to to England to film a couple of videos to support the traveling Wilbury stuff. But mm. never made it there cuz he died like a couple of days later oh my God. in December of 88. So the end of the line has a video showing the empty rocking chair. Oh, that's
1: right. I rem- I do remember that.
0: They never really they were gonna tour, but then it didn't seem right without Roy and it would have been an interesting an interesting tour I would oh, think. Oh, I de-
1: think. definitely think yeah, it would have been, been fun.
0: Petty's Wilbury name was Charlie T Wilbury Jr. <laughs> also did some solo stuff in the full, you know, Full Moon Fever had uh, won't Back Down, Running Down a Dream. And he had help with uh, from Mike Campbell of the band, as well as Jeff
1: Lynne and George Harrison. Yeah, that's one of those. Um, it, they've always said it's a, you know it's Tom Petty uh, solo album, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there was yeah. a lot going on there, uh, including some of the heartbreakers. Right. Wildflowers, You
0: Don't Know How It Feels, A Higher Place, which I really like. These play at the Indians games when the Indians lost in mm. the 90s. A Higher Place. For some reason, they played that song. Um, I like it, though, and it features all the members of his band, so we oh, was yeah. talking about that. You know, he got along with everybody in the band, and uh, with the exception of drummer Stan Lynch, he did not appear on that album, Wildflowers, for some reason. Mike Campbell also uh, would become a longtime collaborator with Stevie Nicks. He worked on eight of her solo albums. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. And of course, we know he wrote um, Boys of Summer. Sure. Don Henley. Uh, Roy Orbison he worked with, Joe Cocker, Linda Ronstadt. Mike Campbell also worked with Paul Carrick, Michael McDonald, and Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20, either as a songwriter or producer. He's now one of the two that replaced Lindsay Buckingham, along with Neil Finn oh, that's right, yeah. as guitarist on mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac Tour. Um, played I Won't Back Down at the concert for 9-11. Tom did in New York City, fall of 2001.
1: Yeah, What an appropriate song that is. Absolutely.
0: The following year, Tom played Tex Man, I Need You, and Handle With Care at the concert for George at the Royal Albert Hall to commemorate the one-year anniversary of George's death. Right. I still can't believe it's been that long ago. That's
1: incredible, yeah. He was taken from us uh, way too young. Frankie,
0: at that concert, guess who played uh, as a guest performer in the backup band, Alto Sax? Tom Scott. Really? Oh, the.
1: ubiquitous Ubiquitous one
0: Tom Petty did a cameo appearance in the 1978 film FM remember the DJ movie that's right by Steely Dan Mm -hmm. he also guest starred on the It's Gary Shanling show in the late 80s playing himself and also in the Kevin Costner film The Postman Which, along with a, was it, Waterworld, kind of spelled doom for Kevin Yeah, exactly.
1: Kind of uh, ruined his career at the the time. As he
0: did, as many did, uh, appeared in The Simpsons, as well as a recurring role on the uh, animated show King of Hill, and played the role of Elroy Lucky Kleinschmidt. My son would know that, because he likes King of the Hill.
1: Oh, okay. I've never seen it. Never seen it.
0: You know, he had his troubles with his record company over the years, but he even had trouble with B.F. Goodrich Tires in 1987. Really? A song they were using for one of their ads. He said, no, 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 no. Can't do that. So he was actually awarded 12.5% of the royalties, along with Jeff Lynne for the Sam Smith hit called Stay With Me a few years ago. Remember, that was kind of a controversial thing. Sam Smith had that that song, and and, uh, it sounded like I won't back down. So he got 12.5% of the royalties. Okay. As to Jeff Lynn. Tom passed away in October 2017. Yes. It's so sad. Just a couple weeks before his 67th birthday, found unconscious in his home, taken to the hospital, resuscitated, would pass away. It was eventually determined that he died accidentally of cardiac arrest after taking a mixture of pain pillars and antidepressants. Apparently, Mm. he was in such pain uh, from the hip that was supposed to be replaced he was in a lot of pain with his knee too but he just wanted to be on the road and perform in front of yeah, the people and absolutely. that meant that would have meant a long rehab for him with those two procedures which sure. were serious so he felt he owed it to his fans and his crew not to take time off to have that surgery so instead kind of wow you know managed with the pain with the painkillers and the antidepressants yeah and,
1: but that's not a good way to That's not no, a good way to handle it yeah
0: Hollywood Walk of Fame star, 1999, Tom Petty. And then uh, George and Ira Gershwin Award for Lifetime Achievement in 1996. Oh, really? Wow. That's That's quite an accolade. That's quite
1: a, yeah, that's big time.
0: Billboard's Century Award and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, which we mentioned earlier, 2002. That's quite a career for Tom Petty.
1: Absolutely.
0: So... I think I, I know I have Damn the Torpedoes. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Yeah. And that was one I did not part with at the record store while selling them back. I kept that oh, one. Okay. And I think, like I said before, I have some on CD as well. And I've downloaded, I, I have that album probably three different ways.
1: Right. I know I have uh, Full Moon Fever, yeah. definitely.
0: And Traveling Wilburys. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has that CD right. too. Handle With Care was a great song.
1: Good, good tune. And uh, it was a lot of fun.
0: I would have loved to have seen them in concert. Yeah,
1: definitely. That would have been fun.
0: And some more music from them, too. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. Uh, something that maybe would have been re- recurring through yeah, the Yeah, I think that's what
1: they would have done, yeah. yeah.
0: It's good that he also got along with his bandmates. You know, there's so much strife involved, and, you know, whether there's petty jealousy or not or whatever reason people leave a band, sometimes you lose your drummer or your keyboardist or they want to do other things.
1: Yeah, there's so few that seem to get get along. I mean, we've... Told the story a hundred times, haven't we, about uh, the people that don't get along? And so it's nice when a group gets along. I I don't know
0: if he ever appeared at Blossom, do you think?
1: uh, What's that? Blossom Music Center? Yeah, Yeah. I think that's where I saw him. Good venue for him, wouldn't you think?
0: It can be interactive with the crowd and. You know, just... Just the right size, yeah, too. The right size, seemed yeah. like a really good guy. You know, yeah. somebody you want to work with. A lot of people did. Stevie Nicks loved working with him. Absolutely. And so many people. So it's a shame we lost him at a relatively young age of 67 years old, or right around there. And, but uh, what a great compilation of music he left us.
1: Definitely. Tom
0: Petty and the Heartbreakers are featured artists this week. Frankie, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Next time around, we'll continue our More From category. We'll be talking about Bad Company. They got in in 1974 with that fantastic debut album. Oh, yeah. Straight Shooter came around and then... 1979 and Rock and Roll Fantasy and that was about it. Yeah. They didn't last long. They didn't. We'll explain why and how if we can in our next episode of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. Thanks so much for listening and for your downloads. heard all over the world. Now you can listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and we really appreciate you listening. See you next time.